Hi folks, my name is David, but I'm also known as the Video Game Boy. Hi, I'm Johnny Bartlett, <laughs> and I'm your local neighborhood Slenderman. You, and we are the humble choice bundle bourgeoisie. I, I, I should we change that? <laughs> That's what I was that... laughing about before we started, because you got change if it's too cringy, please. Like, <laughs> nah, we didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Are, are we gonna change it? I, we we just kind of started. We didn't. I I just kind of I just kind of roped us right into it. I just kind of I just kind of launched into like head first. Without <laughs> you jumped right into it, and I was gonna let you. <laughs> but I, are, but are we gonna do that? Are are we the humble choice bundle bourgeoisie? I mean, I feel like haven't we kind of been legally avoiding saying that we have any sort of affiliation with Humble Bundle? But we have an affiliate link now, everyone. You have to. Yo, we're partnered with Humble Bundle, baby. <laughs> yes, and also we really need to improve our SEO. <laughs> yeah, but the SEO doesn't so listen to what we say. <laughs> Oh, sure, but we're going to be including things in the description now that have more to do with the things that we're talking about, like Fair. video games <laughs> and Humble Choice. And uh, uh, Catboys are popular right now. We should probably put that in the description. Yeah, whatever people are searching, we'll just kind of look up the sort of popular terms and just sort of use those. Exactly. Because I think that's all we need. That's it. We'll be good. Yeah. Right there. I think that ought to do us just fine. Well, shall we get um, into this? <laughs> yeah, let's just get into it. Uh, so, today, the games that we are going to be talking about start out with Train Station Renovation. Lovecraft, Untold Stories. Werewolf, The Apocalypse, Heart of the Forest. Iris and the Giant. Boomerang Foo. And Moving Out. Let's get into the meat. Train Station Renovation, developed and published by Live Motion Games, shortened to LMG. Uh, they also made a game called Gunslingers and Zombies, which is sort of like a top-down sort of action game. And then there's also Card Trader Simulator, which, uh, that game is interesting. But what most interests me about this developer is that they're currently in development for Chernobyl Liquidator Simulator, which is a realistic take on the disaster where you do not fight mutants and monsters and instead have to work hard to contain the radiation and help to... Uh, conspire with the government and also help people. So uh, that seems that sounds dope. Yeah, I I want that game. Uh, that sounds awesome. There's a demo available for uh, this game, Train Station Renovation, Car Trader Sim, and also there will be soon for Chernobyl Liquidators. Uh, this game you play the role of a train station renovator, cleaning, renovating, replacing, repairing a bunch of old derelict train station parts with new parts and decorations in order to get them back to working order. It plays very similar to games like Viscera Cleanup Detail and also other games from uh, what I can tell, I've not played them before, like House Flipper and Barn Finders. Uh, it's a very zen cleaning and decorating experience with good music. You, you zone out and make the price look pretty. It's great. So uh, the gameplay basically goes uh, in between missions. There's like a hub that you can buy upgrades and stuff there's like a model train that slowly uh grows more you can uh, see more of the track as the game progresses and the whole sort of hub is modeled to look like an apartment 
you start out with like limited cash and supplies and you work uh, to get better, faster equipment. You can upgrade them. Missions start with you just like entering into a location. Uh, before there's like a little bit of a intro that you can read about it that like is poorly translated, gives you a good idea of like what you're going into. Uh, they have usually a unique gimmick or a storyline associated, like needing to pump out water of a, a seaside train station, cleaning up a radiation spill, which definitely was probably the inspiration for what will become Chernobyl Liquidator Simulator. Mm -hmm. uh, or having the key to a control room after it's used by like a bunch of neighborhood kids and you have to like go find the key and like they have it like hidden for you and like the chalk and shit. It's really cool. Uh... You also clean up after a lot of like freshly kicked out homeless folks, but that 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 feels less cool. And <laughs> uh, and you clean up after a lot of like fights and stuff. Uh, anyway, the first thing that you do when you enter the space is you determine where to buy and place your mixed and segregated trash bins. So all of your trash has to be put into the proper bins, right? Uh, you can put anything into the large mixed bin. But the segregated recycling bins, you lose money if you put, like, the wrong thing into the wrong slot. But you can get money back if you put, say, like, glass into the, uh, the green bin, uh, plastic or metal into the yellow bin, or paper and cardboard into the blue bin. And that includes just, like, random objects that you find, like, on the ground, including, like, tires and, like, metal barrels and stuff like that. Okay. Uh... Yeah, so uh, when an item settles in the bin, though, it can't be moved, and it just it's stuck there permanently. So if, it, if you get it stuck in a weird spot, you're, you're going to have to clear it, which costs cash. So it, you kind of have to consider how you place things into the trash bin in order to get like the maximum amount of profit from each location from recyclables. It's a little bit of a non-intuitive system, but it, it, it does make you consider and think a little bit and plan. I, I played as, as Tim the Toolman, Taylor Toolman. Uh, he tools hard. He's got lots of tools, baby. They're accessible in a radial menu. It's kind of clunky. I wish that I could use like the num keys a little bit more in order to... Uh, Maybe I just wasn't using them enough. But <laughs> Were there key bindings that you could change it if you needed to? Uh, I'm sure that the editor will let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the options are rebindable in the options menu, so you can change them up. However, the radial menu is the only way to access the tools, and the numbers are only ever used for items that you purchase from your catalog for decorating. Uh, so basically the idea is you have this whole radial menu, and you use it to sand the rails that are rusty, uh, caulk and paint up walls that have holes in them, uh, you broom and dust uh, places to get all, all the spider webs out and stuff, you mop up graffiti and mud, uh, you fix up mechanical and electrical objects like power grids and stuff. Uh, you also fix up like the train cars themselves. Uh, you demolish and replace a bunch of broken items. And it's all just with like the click of a button or like holding a button down. It's not like complicated or anything. It's very simple. You don't really have to think much about it. Uh, and you can use a crowbar and an axe to also break down most of the items. So you don't even have to carry all of them. The only thing that you really can't break down is metal objects, which have to be put into a recyclable receptacle. Uh, which also means that, like, it usually ends up filling up very quickly, the metal plastic ones, because mm -hmm. there's so much metal and plastic. And at each given level, it's kind of ridiculous. But I'm, I'm getting into my nitpicks a little early. It's very enjoyable to see, like, this thoroughly trashed train station start, like, 
becoming this fully featured train station as you start like tearing out all of the bad parts and replacing it with good parts uh i started to get a lot goofier with the meeting requirements uh as the, lo the levels progressed uh i just like like it, it'll ask you to like all right put eight bathroom elements in this room or put uh, six furniture in this room, and you have like a whole list of different things that you can put in there. And so it, it doesn't mind if you just make a whole room soap. <laughs> that counts. And if you just like put just soap canisters and make it the soap room, those are bathroom elements, baby. Yeah, that works. It, yeah, that satisfies the requirements, and so you're good to go. And the game gives you a five star rating. Who needs a toilet? <laughs> no, you don't need toilet. Just, uh, just use the bathroom in the corner and dump some soap on it. Or, or urinals that are all uh the size uh that only like Lady Demetria uh from like Resident Evil Village could ever use or something. <laughs> uh, just like placed all along the the top parts of the wall. Uh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> so you can get kind of silly with it. Uh, if you want to, or you can get more serious with it. Uh, the thing that I noticed about that, and, and this is, I'm going to go into my my, tit, my nitpick, start, starting with the biggest nitpick, which would be the high CPU usage thing. Uh, I noticed while playing this game, uh, when entering an area with decorations, the game would slow down to sometimes nearly unplayable frame rates, oh, no. uh, especially while streaming. Yeah, and entering and exiting these areas causes the frame rate to just, like, instantly repair to 60 FPS. Like, I'll just, like, leave an area with decorations, and then suddenly it's 60 FPS gameplay, and then I'll go back into an area, and then it's, like, fucking 5 FPS. And um, the thing that I noticed as time went on is that this occurs much less when you use a smaller variety of decorations, which definitely fueled my artistic liberties in the later stages <laughs> when i just started saying fuck it this is the soap room everybody enjoy the soap room like it just it made the most sense because it made it the game played better and i met the requirements and i had a better time like filling it out with like goofy nonsense so uh that is an issue and i do hope that that gets remedied there were some other smaller technical issues as well uh, I did experience some crashes uh, every so often, so you should save quite uh, frequently. Also, some achievements popped earlier later than expected, which was kind of weird. Uh, I mentioned earlier that plastic and metal uh, are recycled together, and I just really wish that like the the middle yellow recycler slot was like larger or you had two separate ones because I end up putting so much garbage into that middle one and clearing it out. Then I barely ever use the cardboard or glass. Um, <laughs> Cause you could just like throw all that in your fucking hammer space inventory. You don't have to worry about it. The metal and plastic though, you can't, uh, there's also some things like you can't do beautification tasks, like picking weeds, just sm small things like that, that I wish I could do to just make the place look a little prettier. Yeah. And uh, there's also no crouch button. I, I want to get in there. I want to really get in and, and, and get close to the dirt and grime and smell it with, with, my, with my flavor receptors, you know? Trains aren't close to the ground, man. You don't got to crouch. Yeah, but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, wa <laughs> I want to get crushed by these good, good trains. Uh, but anyway, I... I found that there wasn't really much replayability after playing each level and completing them 100%. Uh, 
you do unlock a sandbox mode eventually after getting 25 stars uh, or playing the very last level, uh, which you can replay with uh, unlimited cash. I mean, it's just like replaying levels and that's it. Yeah. There's also the option to like reset your Steam achievements and start over anytime from like this button on like the main menu, which is kind of buck wild. <laughs> uh, I've never seen that in any game before. But yeah, for to conclude, I think it's it's simple, it's relaxing to to clean and decorate uh these train stations. Unfortunately, it is marred by some technical issues and a lack of replayability. I think it's good for, you know, however much time you want to put into it, whether you just want to like get the five stars and leave or get 100% or or just like get to the point where you can get to like the next stage and then go uh I was gonna say it's kind of got something for everyone in that. Yeah, sense. Uh, I, 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 anyone that like needs something that's like a a zen sort of non work game. It's like it's basically work. It's 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 work. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but but it's work that has a really nice soundtrack that you can just sort of zone out to and forget about the world's problems. You know, for fifteen or twenty five hours. Uh, a good de-stressor that doesn't punish you for taking your time and enjoying the ride. Uh, just like our next game. You know who does punish <laughs> you for enjoying the ride. Oh, that's a much better segue. Cthulhu! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, our next game is Lovecraft Untold Stories by LLC Blinny Games. They also did Pirates, spelt P-I-P-1-R-4-T-3-S, which is a roguelike RPG kind of top-down twin-stick shooter game. Uh, looks, it looks like a lot of fun. It's in early access right now. Check it out. Seems cool. Uh, this is also a sort of top-down twin-stick shooter RPG roguelike game, and it's got <laughs> a lot of depth. So obviously with the whole twin stick shooter, you know, one one last of controls movement, you aim with your mouse and click in the direction you want to shoot your shotgun or use your weapon, depending on the character you're playing as. And it's as for a roguelite, it's it really interesting. Uh the gameplay feels very nice, but it's very straightforward. There's a lot of variance to the items you find but nothing really changes the gameplay like you might expect from a roguelite. You're not going to pick up an item that suddenly makes you feel like you're playing an entirely different character with different movesets or changes the fundamental way that you have to play the game. Most of the items are like, oh, now you're immune to electric damage, or now your shotgun reloads quicker, you know, things like that. Very basic attributes to the characters, not like game-changing things. But... It's still a lot of fun. The The game is focused way more on, like, survival. It, there, there's some really finicky things that, like, you you have both health and sanity you have to manage. Uh, basically, anything you, anything you interact with pretty much brings up your insanity. And if you, your insanity builds too high, then you die. And the same sense is if you take too much damage, you die. There's plenty of healing stuff around though that damage never seemed to be a problem uh but sanity was a lot more difficult to manage you did not get nearly as many chocolate bars which were the only way to uh, manage your sanity and there are tons of objects to interact with that give you bonus like 
items, but always increase your sanity. So I, I'd advise being careful of what you interact with in the environment because sanity is probably going to be the main thing that kills you. That's <laughs> that's such an interesting thing. I don't know about like lovecraft games is that they always have to have a sanity mechanic why is that like a sanity meter well that's because that's like that is the core idea of lovecraft it's it's psychological horror you know it's based on like you understand the world at a fundamental level but human minds aren't meant to understand it and therefore the more knowledge you have about what's really going on the more insane you get because our brains i just wonder I wonder if a visible bar portrays that level of unknowingness. <laughs> no, it absolutely doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's that's my critique. <laughs> I mean, but but the nice part is that like one, it wasn't a visible bar. It was sort of a uh, a graphic that was displayed over your character's portrait, uh, mm. which led to other issues of like not really understanding what your sanity was at at any given time. The big bigger indicator was like a heartbeat sound that started playing when it got too high but oh. the the interesting part is that like uh, you you'd think that normally how sanity is kind of handled is that oh you you saw a spooky monster and now your insanity is up but it's not in in this game it does stay sort of true to that it's knowledge that makes you go insane it, it's not oh there's a spooky creature here or oh i don't i don't really understand what happened to this body it's oh i read a piece of information that sort of like changed my understanding of the world and that's what makes you go insane uh so i i, I think they handle sanity pretty decently uh and in the sense of like th this game is lovecrafty and through and through it is it is just pretty textbook like lovecraftian horror exactly what you'd expect if you've read any lovecraft or played much lovecraft adjacent stories it's you know old gods are coming weird shit's happening on this remote area uh we we've got to figure it out but we don't know scientists are doing weird experiments with people's bodies to turn them into old gods and stuff you know all all the very traditional Lovecraftian stuff sans the subtle racism. I didn't catch too many elements yeah, of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I think they did a good job filtering through Lovecraft and like portraying the, the psychological old God horror. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I back to the whole roguelike elements. I never died in this game. Like died died. I died a couple times, but I don't know what the the core loop of the game looks like when you die because there's items called onks that when you die, you don't die. You just kind of like respawn in the last room, and I had plenty of those to survive, so I never died. Uh and so I don't really understand or know what the actual death sequence looks like when you actually die in this game i should probably go back and see uh just out of curiosity but the game is very much it, it's more of a linear progression than anything every area you clear there's like a big boss at the end you have to fight and then it brings you on to the next sort of zone that you clear through as you're trying to solve this mystery and piece things together uh, i didn't get through a full run because it's also very substantial there's there's a lot of length to this game there's lots of items lots of shit to find lots of exploration to do in every zone each zone was taking me about uh eh, probably close to two hours to clear fully which isn't wow. bad i mean i was going a little slow because i was you know obviously reading all the text uh but this because the, mm. the whole game is just it's it's all text it's 
I, I, I don't know why with Lovecraft comes just like dense paragraphs of just explaining shit. But it, it's that very <laughs> traditional. It feels like you're playing like sunless seas, sunless skies. Like that's how much text you're reading. Oh uh, man, you gotta love it. Gotta love it. Gotta love just like dense text of like Just 90% of it is like nonsense and the other, you know, 10% is person killed another person because brain is weird. Um... So it's very, it's very, very, <laughs> uh, it's very, very traditional Lovecraft in that sense. Uh, the gameplay feels, it feels good. It's a lot of fun. It's very slow paced. The boss fights are excellent. Uh, I had a lot of fun with them. A lot of them were spamming Molotovs and grenades because like I was too busy just kiting and running around and there's tons and tons of Lovecraft lore. So it might be a little bit dense for some people. And if you've had a lot of, like, Lovecraftian fixes and played a lot of games in the genre, the game might be a little bit, like, repetitive or stale or regurgitate you know, just, like, parroting other information you've heard from other Lovecraftian games. But it's really solid. I, I really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun with this one. How would you say it stacks up to other sort of roguelikes? Uh, it's, it's... I mean, it is very story progression-y. It feels more like, uh, story-wise and, and gameplay, it does feel more sort of like in that Hades genre of things, where it's less like I'm just on a loop doing things over and over again, and more like I am just kind of slowly progressing through a story. So, I, I think it's solid. I wouldn't really recommend it if you're, like, looking for a roguelite fix, you know? But, mmm... Yeah, but if you're looking for more of like that, like Cthulhu fix with a maybe a roguelike angle, exactly. If if you want some sort of like, uh, consequence to your actions and death and stuff, I I think it's a good route to go. It it feels very different from playing a game like uh Call of Cthulhu, you know, where it is just like a very linear driven. I'm gonna get through this eventually, just because like it it all progresses in one route. This one feels a little more like, okay, like dying is a part of this world and universe, and it just kind of happens. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's part of the storytelling. Exactly. They did a really good job sort of taking the elements of this already established story and world and building it into gameplay. Just like our next title, Werewolf, The Apocalypse, Heart of the Forest, which is based on a board game, a tabletop role-playing game that is uh, quite beloved, actually. It's part of the larger World of Darkness, which uh, I've covered games in this series in the past, specifically uh, Vampire the Masquerade uh, and the two visual novels that I've seen from them. Uh, this is a little different from those uh, visual novels. It's got a different developer. It's developed by uh, Different Tales, who also developed the uh, Wanderlust games which their specialty seems to be choose-your-own-adventure style, like text-based vi vi virtual novels, essentially, uh, where, like, the Wanderlust games are sort of about, like, wandering a, say, like, a, a different place in Europe or something and, and just being, like, a tourist and sort of, like, the visual novel aspect of that. It took me a while to figure out why I knew the name Wanderlust, and it's because there's... Oh, a, really? It's a book. Yeah, it yeah, probably yeah, yeah. is a book. It, yeah. Uh, and they they just basically develop those books into uh, choose your own 
advent like a choose your own I, I what is choose your own adventure right like that's the term for it like those older novels that have like uh like turn to page yeah. four in order to advance the story it's like that but like systemized in like a computer video game gotcha so it's published by walkabout uh they've done games like liberated and necroworm uh, like I said, this attempts to role play uh, or emulate the pen and paper role playing of Werewolf the Apocalypse, sort of like uh, taking the dungeon master and saying that like, okay, well now the game itself is the dungeon master for the player who's playing it. Um, so it's like a it's largely driven by your character's actions. It's short. It only takes uh, about four to five hours to complete, and your decisions fill out this like character sheet that makes uh, certain actions possible uh to occur later down the line it's really fun how it like in the very beginning it, it doesn't like make you create a character sheet like normal it basically gives you a bunch of scenarios and tells you ha asks you how you would react to them and then based on how you react to that is how uh the main character maya's character sheet fills out and so you can make her more uh analytical or more cunning or or more focused on her rage abilities and and, and her sort of ferocity uh it, it's kind of interesting how you can you can choose to tackle different situations uh by by literally like role playing as this character um it starts out a little bit slow uh but a little over halfway through it really switches gears uh and i, I almost wish that it like stayed that way for longer i was really surprised when it ended honestly kind of ended a little earlier than i expected uh it's very prose heavy in a good way uh, it really does feel like you're reading a proper short story. Uh, there was a couple of words that I had to look up because I was like, man, I've never heard that word before. Like, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> and I love whenever I learn something new. Uh, it has cool themes about environmentalism and how humans interact with nature. Uh, it's explored through issues affecting a real forest in Poland called the uh, Bielowija. I, I hope that I pronounced that right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, basically about this spruce bark beetle uh, there that's caused controversy because the loggers there claim that uh, the only way to save the forest from these spruce bark beetles that are eating up all the trees is to humanely log to uh, basically like get all of the, the, the bad trees out of the forest. Uh, well, preservationists argue that like they are also getting rid of like healthy trees and also more species live in the dead trees than the live ones. So getting rid of them actually only harms the forest. Uh, and so there's this whole kind of like multi-sided uh, argument kind of for both. Although de definitely this game leans more towards the uh, the protesters uh, against the logging, especially because uh, the the heart of the forest is actually like a character that has opinions about you. The, 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 the forest cares whether or not you're actually like helping it and, and will react to you depending on how you, you, you choose to help it. What I find really interesting, uh, and it seems like, I, I don't know if this tabletop RPG is just designed around this, but yeah. the, the, the larger World of Darkness, both in the Vampire series and this one, seems to be like tackling really pertinent modern issues in just sort of like a, an interesting setting. Yes! That's something that I noted about uh, Vampire the Masquerade because, like, that game, that game had like this really interesting angle of like talking about like how vampires would exist in like this real New Yorkian, uh, New Yorkian. I was about to say Trumpian New York, uh, <laughs> that is like just dominated by like a media ecosphere and like 
the idea of like ghouls being used as like low sl- low wage slave labor and like uh just used to like inflate ideas in social media and stuff like that in order to control a larger populace and like hide the masquerade and stuff like that like that same sort of thing is here and it really hit home for me because the i i used to work in an, what an area like very close to a national park in, in basically a national park as a train conductor in the <laughs> cog railway and uh one of the big areas uh, one of the big issues affecting us in Colorado is the spruce bark beetle the exact same beetle is actually like in Colorado and devastating our forests like to this day and it's like a current debate among like conservationists like how we should deal with the issue and uh i don't know so so i think that in that sense like the the themes in this game actually really hit home uh, mm-hmm. cuz like there's also so many forest fires here that like preserving our forests is becoming a really huge issue uh but anyway, uh, getting more into the mechanics of this actual game uh, rather than just like the background info, uh, you throughout the game have to manage uh, three different sort of meters for Maya, uh, her rage, her willpower, and her health. Her rage affects her ability to think rationally in certain situations and your inclination to give yourself over to the wolf and also your ability to like get angry in certain situations. So if you have like a low rage, then you aren't able to get angry. Whereas if you have a high rage, then you might get angry uh, and like not have a choice in the matter. Um, so rage is like gained or lost by reacting differently and like role playing basically. Okay. Uh, whereas, yeah. Whereas willpower uh, affects how often a high rage will cause you to actually unleash like a beast form, I guess. I never actually saw it because I played a very low rage character in my playthrough. Uh, but the idea is that lower willpower is bad, and uh, each tick of willpower can also be used to do something that is emotionally taxing for your character. Uh, like, for example, touching a dead body uh, in order to like observe it and get more information out of it. Uh, so if you don't have any willpower, then that results in zero willpower events, which basically just like your character is just like I have no motivation to pursue any any further investigation. Like I can't, I can't handle this. This is too much for me, and you have to get out of the situation. And you kind of like can't progress any further. Um, so you have to act in a way that advances your goals in order to regain your willpower. You'll get like different goals throughout the game. A really early one that I got was like finding out more about my family. Uh, And so every time I found out a little bit more about my family, I would regain some willpower, uh, which caused me to, like, strategically use up all of my willpower in certain areas in ways that, like, I I would hope that I could regain the willpower by learning something about my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was pretty cool. Kind of adds, like, a little bit of a risk-reward element to it. And uh, then the health is really standard. Uh, It only really becomes uh, a factor once you kind of hit that halfway point in the story where it really switches gears. And uh, from here, I'm going to go ahead and get into the uh, spoiler part of the review because this game is all story, so I kind of have to talk about it. To avoid spoilers for Werewolf Heart of the Forest, skip to 35 minutes and 56 seconds. So, you play as Maya. She's an American student who dreams of this forest in Poland. And uh, she knows that she had family who used to live there. So uh, you go to meet this man who knows all about your family history. His name is Bartek, but he's really apprehensive once you finally meet him. He's like he, he learned something that was like too much information for him. And so you kind of spend some time, uh, you know, learning about the, the whole town and, and trying to figure out what's going on. 
But the whole town seems to be on edge, especially when you talk about your family and people ask that you should stop crying. You know, it's kind of like the usual, like, like small town, like everybody talks, but like you're not in the small town yet. So mm -hmm. you're not, not in like the, the loop of things. So should you keep pressing after exploring the town, you keep meeting a bunch of locals. Uh, you discover that your family are not only werewolves, but they're essentially Nazi werewolves who slaughtered God damn. Yeah, an entire village of humans in, like indiscriminately, not just an entire village, like multiple villages in order to protect uh, the forest and because they believed that they were like a superior race, essentially. You also find out that Bartek is the son of like the major pro logging industry dude. Uh, and in my game, he ended up getting caught in like a fight really late at night. That ended up with him dying and me killing him uh, after I became a werewolf for the very first time. Oh, shit. So, yeah, like, that was, like, where the story really fucking hit second gear. And I started, like, doing some crazy shit as a werewolf and starting being inducted into werewolf society. Because from there, uh, you, you the, the story about Maya, the student, basically just ends completely. And it becomes the story of Maya, the, the new werewolf where you're trying to find out where you, you basically know all about your past because the wolves tell you all about your past. And now it's sort of like, okay, well now where do I fit in, in this society of werewolves? You start learning about it, trying to find your place within it. Um, you learn about a couple of different faction leaders uh, from like the local different factions uh, and, and why they are there uh, trying to protect the forest in this instance against the loggers. Uh, and many of the characters from the previous segment as student Maya return here and they're revealed to be werewolves the whole time, which is kind of a fun reveal of like, oh, you, you son of a bitch. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ended up joining up with the Glasswalkers, who's this radical group of werewolves who are more keen to work in harmony with and around humans, preferring to operate in like larger cities rather than in nature, uh, to the dismay of the other clans who kind of see them as pariahs, sort of, uh, so they're because of their love of humans and their love of technology, they see it as like a source of corruption. Mm -hmm. uh, so I also became sort of like an adjudicator judge over like the wolf people. So like I ended up like executing a dude who like uh, fucking did some shit against the clan. Uh, my game ended with Anya, the best friend character, living out like to the very end of the game. I was. I didn't even mention Anya. She's like, this character's with you the entire game. <laughs> but uh, she she lives to the very end in my game. But she becomes distant with Maya because of I because Bartek just like suddenly disappeared. And in this universe, anytime that you see a, a werewolf in their Krenos form, they just like don't remember them. It's just like, it's too shocking for the human psyche for them to remember something so terrifying, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just like with the way that the game describes it, you kind of do believe it. I I watch gameplay of a different Werewolf the Apocalypse game that's like more of an action title, and you just sort of like switch between like the werewolf forms instantly. Whereas in this game, it describes like the painful rending of your flesh and the tearing of your bones apart Ooh. to create more bones, and like fucking it like each time that you transform, it's like this painful horrific experience. Whereas in like the action game, it's just like a, you press a button and you go whoop wolf. <laughs> So in that sense, I feel like it really connected me more to the universe and like grounded it a lot more, especially with the connection to like the actual real world elements with like the pine bark beetle and all that shit. I think that's super interesting. Uh, basically, the only way that I ended up uh, solving that situation, by the way, with the loggers was to change the forest into a national park 
And the, the, the logic there, yeah, was to use tourism as a way to make up for lost logging sales. And that was the only way to appease the loggers. <laughs> so uh, my character drifted away from the larger group to follow the clan leader uh, to wherever I was needed next. And that's just where the game ended. Uh, it's the most systemically engaging visual novel I've played in the larger World of Darkness universe. I feel like it uses... Uh, a lot of interesting systems and mechanics to make you feel like you're actually kind of playing the tabletop game a little bit more uh, rather than just sort of experiencing a visual novel where you can occasionally choose to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a very engaging first entry into the universe. I, I might lose its luster upon multiple playthroughs, like a lot of Telltale games where you start to realize like a lot of choices weren't really choices and they just kind of railroad you down to like the, the main central path. Yeah. Uh, but I do appreciate its use of real-world issues to ground the narrative and give a larger context to the plot. And uh, especially with, like, my chat telling me about, like, the larger sanctioned world of roleplay in, like, the world of darkness, where, like, there's, like, submitted reports and bureaucracy involved of, like, clans actually, like, interacting with each other from, like, across, like, the country. Uh, that is very fascinating to me, and I really want to learn more about it. Are we eventually going to do a bundle bourgeoisie World of Darkness podcast? Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't plan on it, but... <laughs> but maybe? But maybe? <laughs> but maybe? But, you know, I feel like uh, we, we could really make a whole podcast about, like, a lot of these kind of games, especially, like, the more, like, sentimental, heartfelt ones, yeah. you know? Uh, speaking of sentimental and heartfelt, <laughs> I just, it's funny. It took you a second for your brain to register that that was me yeah. sending it over to you. Our next game is so sentimental and full of heart. Uh, it is Iris and the Giant by Louise Rigouard. Rigouard? Louis Rigaud. I'm probably butchering that. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll fix it in post. Uh, in published, this is this is the only game there. So the publisher, though, Goblins Publishing, has done several games kind of adjacent to this with Legends of the Keeper and Banners of Ruin, which are also roguelite deck building games. And, and as far as the Eye and Snowtopia, which are some like city management sim games, which both look very dope. <laughs> so Iris and the Giant, this game is a roguelite deck building game. So if you're not familiar with the, the concept behind that, it is, it's got the whole roguelite permadeath. Uh, if you die during a run, you have to restart from the beginning. Your deck starts out with certain cards in it. And as you go, you get these treasure chests that give you more cards to add to your deck. And I, I want to talk about the gameplay mechanics in this first, because some of these elements are really, really interesting. Uh, they have, obviously, most roguelites have a sense of, like, permanent progression to make the game easier the more times you fail. And this one has the same thing. You unlock companions, which uh, every all the companions are unlocked by meeting certain requirements. It, it, they're things like uh, survive to floor 30 without using a healing card, uh, things like that. And the companions sort of fundamentally change your deck building and gameplay they do things like uh, you start the deck, you start the game with five sorrow in your deck, and every time you cast a magic spell, you gain life. So it sort of incentivizes a magic build instead. Or things like you find uh, more fire cards in chest, or 
or you find flame cards in chest, and whenever you cast a heal, you get a flame. So it incentivizes you to, like, gain more heals instead and keep your life up and find flames. Um, so the companions sort of tweak the way you play, the like, your core strategy. And then you have memories, which unlock permanent buffs. Things like uh, chests have one more reward option. Or you can find thunders in chests. Uh, things like that. So just, like, sort of core makes the game easier the more memories you unlock. And they have... The game has three difficulties... Uh, Nightmare Mode starts locked. You have to clear a playthrough to unlock Nightmare Mode, which I, I don't mind, but when you, when you, each save file is bound to the difficulty you select. So when you clear it and unlock Nightmare Mode, you have to start an entirely new game on Nightmare Mode. You can't just change the game that you've already done and you have to re-unlock everything. So that's kind of exhausting, but the nightmare mode adds a lot of variance to the game, and it's not just like, ha-ha, enemies attack harder. It's like you encounter new enemy types throughout the game that are more difficult and harder to deal with. Uh, which is a, That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a super cool uh, way to do nightmare mode, and I really enjoyed that. I, I liked that it wasn't just make the game more, you know, make things punch harder. Uh, as you go through the game, there are challenges that you can unlock. Like, if you clear all the enemies on certain floors, you unlock, like, secret rooms. And you go into the secret room, and it's just challenge. It's like a, a three waves of a challenge. And the challenge is, we give you X cards to start. You have to clear this room with these cards. Which was super cool. I really like the kind of, like, sprinkling that in, peppering it in as you go. Uh, and the fact that you could skip it if you didn't want to do them. And they were really, some of them were very easy, and it was a little repetitive. Once you've seen them, you've seen them. They repeat themselves after a while. But also, some of them just felt impossible. Like, no matter what I did, no matter what sort of, like, calculus I was doing in my head, I could not find the solution to some of these. Uh, so I don't know if they were intended to be impossible, or if it was like, I'm just too <laughs> dumb to figure it out. Uh, but there were a few, especially on Nightmare Mode, that just felt unrealistic <laughs> uh and the game changes a bit each time you clear it so when you kill the the final boss um i i use the word kill loosely and we'll get into that uh you <laughs> i know right you the game sort of changes uh when you do another playthrough the enemies that you encounter at the start aren't exactly the same they'll be like more more difficult enemies you'll find at the start which is super cool uh, I, I enjoyed that and then the other thing that i really enjoyed is the deck building in this game it wasn't what you would expect in traditional deck building. It wasn't like really meticulously crafting your deck and sort of like picking a specific strategy and only drafting the cards that go with that strategy. Because the way it worked was if you ran out of cards in your deck, you lost the game. And every time you play a card, you play that card permanently and it's gone forever. So it sort of it incentivizes kind of padding your deck to make sure you don't just lose from decking yourself uh but at the same time it also added like this layer of depth and strategy because you you can't sort of curate exactly what you're going to draw at any given time like you might normally be able to do in a deck building game so it was a lot more like i'm going to sort of build a strategy and then kind of go with the flow and adjust things and like change my strategy every round because I, I have 42 cards in my deck, because if I don't, I'm going to die. Uh, so it was really interesting. I really enjoyed the deck building aspect of this. It, it feels harder to game the system, but it added a lot of strategy and depth. Uh, and now, what's up? Oh, I just, I want to 
I, I'm like, I'm, I can't wait to get to like the, the, the nitty gritty of like the story. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, it, I'm biting at the, I'm chomping at the bit here. Yeah, let, let's get into this. Let's get into why this fucking game is so good. I mean, the gameplay alone was a lot of fun. If you like deck building, I think you'll really enjoy this sort of take on it. Uh, but this game, all right, spoilers from here on because it's hard not, like, the, the way this story is structured, it's hard not to spoil it. To avoid spoilers for Iris and the Giant, skip to 50 minutes and 34 seconds. Uh, the game is, it's, uh, the, the, the way the story progresses is as you clear levels, you get little stars sometimes that are just memories, and the memories are just like a still image with three lines of text sort of describing the scenario. And it starts out, it starts out with, you're playing this girl, she's going to what is obviously a swim practice, uh, and she's just talking about how, like, all of the kids are, like, making fun of her, and, and she's struggling with this, and she just, like, she plunges down into this darkness, and you get dropped into this liminal space between, like, her and her emotions, and the game is, like, you're battling through these emotions to get to the source of her, of her emotion, and it's this giant. Uh, and, and as you go through and unlock the memories, you slowly find out that, like, she's she's struggling to express herself to her parents. Like, they don't understand her or what she's going through. They want her to open up, but she doesn't want to talk to them. All she wants to do is just sit in her room and play board games and video games. Uh, she So her parents send her to therapy, and through therapy, uh, her therapist talks to her and, and works out this system of sort of learning to express herself through drawing cards and uh, and you figure uh, out that the cards you're using are the cards she's drawing in this th these therapy sessions to help her express herself and you go further and further into it and like the therapist goes to gets to this point where it's like well why don't you try writing words on them instead of just drawing pictures and as you get towards the end you see like the enemies all attack with words and if their words hit you you basically get one shot and it's it's all words like no and I don't want to and like things like that. And it's all like sort of the, this idea of, of her expressing consent and and struggling with that idea of like you can tell people no and like you can express yourself. And it, it's just something she's clearly struggling with. And you get you get all the way through this process and through like these cutscenes. It's hard to describe the cutscenes and like too much of the story because it's all very short bursts that create this whole image uh, of this mm -hmm. girl's life. And you get to the giant. And I, I need to play this again because uh, when my, my first playthrough, uh, when you encounter the giant, I didn't even try attacking it because there's, there's a brief thing about con uh, comforting it. Uh, and so I just kept casting heal on the giant, which is what I assumed they wanted you to do because the, the way the dialogue is phrased, I don't even know if you can attack it. You might only be able to heal it. Uh, but as you heal it, the giant, the source of her emotion, it like continues to shrink and shrink and shrink. And once you heal it all the way, uh, you end up embracing the giant and then it cuts back to this cutscene, and she's hugging her dad. And like, there, there's this expression of like, it's right after the swim meet and, and she's connecting with him finally. And as, as you fucking, uh, the, the cutscene changes and she just walks up to her dad and hands him a card and it just says, I'm not okay. And that, that's what's written on the card. And it fucking like, uh, and her dad is just uh, like, I know, take all the time you need. Like, we're here for you. 
And and so like it's it's so fucking sweet and heart wrenching and and it's beautiful and as as the game ends as your playthrough ends and you've confronted the giant she throws the cards out the window of the car because like she doesn't need them anymore she's learned to express herself and and talk to her parents in this way and it's so fucking sweet and it's this like beautiful beautiful representation of like having compassion and understanding like and being there for someone even if you don't understand what they're going through and the struggles that kids go through and even adults with like learning to express themselves and their emotions and and how to say no and things like that and i don't know it's it's fucking beautiful oh emotion i i yeah i you're gonna make me cry over here dude i did cry i bawled my eyes out when i beat this because like that moment when she hands him the card, it fucking, oh, it hits you at your core, especially if you've ever struggled with, like, depression or sadness and, like, expressing uh. yourself. And, and you know, knowing that there's people in the world that aren't okay with that expression and, like, seeing the acceptance of her father and, like, I don't know, it's it's so wholesome. It, it's so good. It'll make you fucking cry. And I love, like, I I don't know if this is, like, autobiographical, but it almost feels that way. I like I don't, did, did did you say that this person's other games are largely like card games? Uh they the the developer has not done other games. Okay. Uh but okay. the publisher's games are largely other card games. Okay, that's weird. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Like the that the, the idea of using cards in like creating something through a process of therapy that feels so personal. It, it feels that's... very personal and like I, I don't know what the developer's relationship is with this story, but you you can tell either it's like a personal struggle they went through or a struggle that like 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 they were on the receiving and they were the father or or someone significant to them went through this struggle and and they're writing about that story like it, not 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 to get all beginner's guide on on you but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you haven't played that game actually you don't no. know what that means uh uh basically it's like a meta commentary on the nature of video game criticism and how uh as critics we can sometimes view too much into the people who make the games and view them as too much of a tale of what they are like of uh, like like telling who who they are about the person rather than just existing as a product of, <laughs> it, you know I, like exactly what we're doing right now well yeah but like i don't know i think i think like there are some stories where it, like you 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 can tell that the person has been through it like you can't you can't make up this struggle like it, it just the way it's yeah. portrayed like it, it clearly had some sort of relation to the person it seems truly truly in order to to get that kind of a resonance. whether or not they went through it themselves or they just understand the situation very well because they do understand it exactly exactly like i don't know it was it was very it was a very compassionate look at a very serious mental health things that people struggle with I, I absolutely loved it. I cannot recommend it enough. I if you want a good cry and you want to feel okay, if you want if you if you want an imaginary dad to hug you like your dad never did cuz you're not supposed to express emotions because you're a man. This is a good outlet. If 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 you got like a like a cranky dad, <laughs> dad that uh just uh He's just really, he's really cranky all the time, you know? But I, I feel like I might be projecting a little bit, you know, sort of throwing myself into this a little too much, you know? I feel like it <sighs> might come be. back at me. <laughs> Came back right there. <laughs> Whiz right back. <laughs> oh my god, it's a boomerang! 
Foo. <laughs> We're talking about Boomerang Foo. <laughs> you, you, you managed, we managed to say the whole name between us. Boomerang Foo! <laughs> uh, developed and published by... Uh, this is where I was getting the cranky part. Cranky Watermelon. Uh, <laughs> this is their only game uh, available on Switch and Xbox. Uh, it is a wacky yet buttery, smooth, and precise physics-based arena party game for up to six players at once. The art is, like, super, super cute. You play as a bunch of little cartoon foods. A cranky watermelon, a jittery cup of coffee, a litany of other foods. It's great. A little queasy donut. He's really cute. Uh, the goal is super simple. You gotta slash the enemy, and you don't. You just don't want to get slashed yourself. It, it's, it's one hit, and you're dead. It's uh, sort of like an aesthetic combination of Fruit Ninja with like that fun sort of party setting with maybe like a dash of Ty the Tasmanian Devil. Uh, you can throw your boomerang and it comes back. Magical. You can also press Y to make it come to you after it lands in the ground. Uh, it's also a setting that you can turn on and off in the sort of options menu. Uh, you can also just hit people with the boomerang when it's just in your hand. And there's a dodge and a taunt button. That's that's all of all of the moves, all of the buttons. Uh, there's there's some upgrades that your character can get, such as the ice boomerang, the fire boomerang, the teleport boomerang, extra boomerang, which is like uh, you just have more than one multi boomerang, which like it splits into multiple ones, like the teleport boomerang, which like allows you to like buck, like switch places with your boomerang, uh, explosive boomerang. It, it does what it says in the tin. Dash through walls, disguise. You can like stand, disguise as like other objects, basically while standing still. There's like a shield, a telekinesis ability where you can like control your boomerang as it's like wandering around the field. A battle royale thing where where the field itself shrinks smaller and smaller. Uh, it, it's it's very cute. Uh, if you've played any sort of like multiplayer arena fighting game. Uh, you probably know kind of what to expect here, you know, like your duck games and like that sort of deal. There are modifiers that allow you to customize things more, like the ability to get rid of the uh, the pullback thing that I mentioned earlier, uh, getting rid of the boomerang homing, changing item distribution variability, uh, the sudden death, the, you know, type of victory conditions, stuff like that. Uh, there's only three main modes, just free-for-all, team battle, and golden boomerang. And there's just there's no content other than that. There's like no single player or anything. I mean, like we we got like almost 100% of the achievements within two hours. And I I figured out how the last two, the ones that were harder, how to get those. And I'm probably just gonna go smack those out in another <laughs> half hour or so, because it's super easy. All that you have to do is like uh, for one of them, uh, you have to basically just get the participation award by doing nothing special. Uh, which is the hardest achievement in the game because it's very easy to do something special in that game. <laughs> and um, a teleport frag, which is just like letting a boomerang land on the ground and then teleporting to it and then killing somebody that way. Uh, but yeah, it's only available online. Or No, sorry, it's not available online at all. <laughs> Only available online! Boomerang food. No, this is only local play, no online play, so you have to use services like Parsec or Steam Remote Play in order to play it with people over the internet. Uh, it's not as good as the in-person experience of dunking on your friends because, of course, uh, your friends can always blame lag when they lose, so... Hey, I'm just uh, saying, if you got a better fucking CPU, then I'd be able to crush you. 
hey, you know, I don't need that kind of uh, language, especially when Boomerang Foo runs at like 15% of my CPU. It's nothing. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a tiny game. <laughs> I'm just saying, that, that, that is your handicap. That is how you It is, me. though. It is. Every, every other game that I stream besides Boomerang Foo does have that issue. I will, I will concede. Uh, <laughs> so it's not a substantial game. I've told you everything there is to know about the game. It's, it's fun to play with a friend. Uh, it's designed to facilitate a large group of players with its quick, snappy, easy-to-understand gameplay. Uh, Really quick, easy to get into, maybe fun for Switch. I would recommend it for Switch. I think that's probably the ideal platform for it. Uh, but otherwise, uh, it's pretty all right. Pretty, 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 pretty fun party game. Uh, maybe, maybe there's another party game that was in this bundle that we might want to cover as well. That was a shit. I couldn't think of a funner way to, to do that. That was the most boring, like dry fucking segue I could have thought of. <sighs> You're just so disappointed in me. You're so disappointed. You're shaking your head. I I failed you. Fuck. You know what? Just, just You know, just if we were living you. together, I would move out. Our next game is moving out. And he didn't even hear the segue, baby. This is a game by SMG Studios and also Devim Games. Uh, SMG Studios also did Death Squared, Risk Global Domination, and One More Line and OTT TD. And Dev M Games did Extreme Forklifting 2. Uh, this game is just overcooked with boxes. That's it. Yeah. It's overcooked, but instead of cooking things, you move stuff around. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it plays and is graphically and, and stylistically pretty much the exact same as Overcooked. You have the little overworld where you're driving around your truck and you go to the different missions. Uh, all of the missions have a bronze, a silver, and a gold clear time, as well as three additional challenges that you can either do while they're mysterious, or once you clear the level once, it unlocks them and shows you what you have to do. You know, what I just realized, that system is totally ripped from mobile games, and that it really explains a lot about their history, because they're a mobile game developer, primarily, with their games like One More Line that I played on like my iPod Touch back in high school, yeah, and, and, like, and stuff like that. I don't know. It's a very classic system. <laughs> Yeah. Uh and it's it's very simple. You just you you drop into this world and you have like up at the top left it shows you how many objects you have to get in the truck and you just move shit into the truck. It's boxes, it's heavy objects and you and your buddies just work together to get it in there. Some objects require multiple people to carry and others you can carry alone. Uh it seems like the the golds are designed to have four players with them. They're a little tricky to get with two. Uh, we, we struggled a bit. I think we got, like, one gold, and we cleared just about all of the missions. Uh, and the challenges add a little bit of nice longevity to the game. It makes replaying the levels kind of interesting, because you've got cool new challenges you can go for, rather than just clearing the level normally. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great. It's fun. There's a lot of, like, fun little anti-corporation humor in the game. You're working for the big bad box people, and they're, they're very much like, exploit the labor of these workers, and you guys are just kind of like, hey, we don't know what we're doing. We just love moving boxes. <laughs> we'll, we'll do this. We love labor. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very much like, we'll do this for pennies on the dime while the boss goes on tropical vacations, because, like, we love this so much. Uh, we just love working <laughs> it's it's very satirical about the like late ideas of labor and the exploitation of workers uh and it's very fun and charming in that sense but it doesn't really you know 
you should talk about the fact that it has the aesthetic of like a 90s instructional video oh yeah it does the whole the whole thing starts out with like a corporate training video that (laughs) this is how you move the boxes yeah uh and like it it's sort of i feel like it's so satirical of like that specific element of like the corporate sort of yes manny sort of like Everything is great here at Wendy's Corporation. Flipping burgers is the thing you'll be doing today. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is very much reminiscent of that. It is the 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 satire is really good. It's on point. Uh, but it's not too dense too, which is nice. It doesn't feel like you know you're getting lectured by Marx trying to play this game. You know, there's there's no le- levels about unionizing. So, <laughs> uh, as as much as I would love there to be just like a level where you unionize. Well, you know, there's a DLC coming out soon. Maybe that's what the DLC is. Maybe. Maybe the DLC is unionization. I hope so. We need some representation yeah. in our media. It seems like it has a vacation theme, so maybe it's you union, you, you, you union, <laughs> you union guys. <laughs> and go on vacation, baby. And go on vacation, yeah. Uh, and there's there's a lot of, like, little mini challenges and puzzles outside of the, the core levels. Uh, you unlock, like, this arcade mode, which is... Uh, literally just like an uh, an objective challenge like the first one we got was to bring uh, a couch across this like small one by one platform that you had to move all the way to a moving truck and if you fell off you died uh you had like four minutes to complete it and that was it and then there were like challenge levels where we had four minutes to unload an entire plane on a moving platform below us uh so there's a lot of like fun little challenges outside of the main level which is great i think that adds some more to do in this game uh, yeah, otherwise it's it's a really good party game. It, it probably doesn't have the same replayability as a game like Overcooked, uh, just because there isn't very much like variance in the levels, and it's only got the story. There's no sort of like battle mode or anything. Uh, but I think I still think it's a great couch co-op option if you're looking for some buds to something to play with some buds d- d- during a day. <laughs> we are we're all looking for things to play with buds during the day in this time of quarantine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just make sure your buds know how to swing. Shut up. <laughs> Asshole. I, I did, okay, just because it took me like four hours to figure out how the mechanics of the swing mechanic work, I, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean I was the only one. <laughs> so, come on. <laughs> Be fair, dude. <laughs> come on. What's, uh, what's your game of the month so far? <laughs> that's it. That's all the games oh, we got dude. there. <laughs> yeah. You can stop listening yeah, that's now. That's all the games. Yeah, everyone's officially tuned out. Uh, so, uh, my favorite game, I, I, I really like Train Station Renovation in that it was just sort of like a really nice thing to fill my fucking ennui, like my fucking need to work. Uh, I, I, I was really appreciating that game, and I probably will play the last couple of levels uh, on stream at some point. But... Oh yeah. It's not got much replayability. It's not got much to it. What if, am I allowed to say Boomerang Foo? That game was a riot. Oh, absolutely. I <laughs> love Boomerang Foo. If, if I, like, Iris if I, wasn't in this, that probably would have been mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boomerang Foo is insanely fun. Uh, even though I only played it for two hours, I could see myself hopping back into that game any day. I cannot Just, wait till I'm, we all live together and can play that. Yeah. I'm going to keep that installed on my computer. I have a bunch of games like that that are really good local co-op, and uh, I'm just going to... I'm I, I'm waiting for the day that I can play that without the dang lag from Steam yeah. Remote Play and stuff. So, that's my game. My game is Iris and the Giant. Easy. Oh my god. 
Wow. 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 Oh, wow. What, uh, what else have we? Oh, wow. Another Owen Wilson. That's the second time we've done <laughs> Owen Wilson. I'll have to put another Owen Wilson in there. Uh, all right. Uh, what else were we playing this uh, past couple of weeks? Uh, I played some episode? For the King with Tesseract Void, which was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Mm. That game looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's like a D&D sort of style game where the game really is the dungeon master. Yeah, that is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I didn't realize that you wanted it to be back and well, forth. Well, normally that's how we do this. <laughs> I, I guess so. I, I guess I just, I, I don't know. My brain skipped a beat. Uh, we also played a lot of Call of Duty uh, Black Ops Zombies. New map, baby. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot yeah. of fun. Uh, my, my, game, my computer cannot stream that game over shit. One of these days. One of these uh, days. I did some Gordian Quest, which is another uh, roguelike deck builder, which is really solid. I didn't get too far into it, but it's got a lot of like really heavy RPG elements, which is super cool. Hell yeah. We played a bit of Destiny 2 on stream as well. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I realized that I have basically completed all of the base game with most of my characters, and that made me a little bit sad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess I'll have to play the DLC at some point. Uh, I did some Valheim, which everyone's raving about right now for good reason. It's a lot of fun. Oh, really? I'll have to pick that up yeah, at some point. Yeah, it's a survival uh, craft We also game. played... Yeah, and the survival craft game Rust was the game I was going to mention. Uh, that's a very fun little game that we played for Community Night. Uh, barely anybody really hopped on. Uh, yeah, Among Us was we slow that of... night too. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was like three people total. We had about me. six, I think, <laughs> on average for Among Us. Yeah, it was good viewership though. So, mm-hmm. uh, hope you liked watching. <laughs> and uh, also Among Us as well. Yeah. Uh, and I did some Gunfire Reborn, which if you haven't played that yet, I highly recommend it. It's a roguelike. Mm-hmm first person shooter uh really good reminds me a lot of like borderlands it's a good shoot and loot nice and one of our viewers professor Shortstacks, got me back into tekken he's just we were talking about it during destiny 2 and it got me so hyped that i had to play it right then and there and uh i i can't stop thinking about it i really want to play more of that game uh you you want to you want to talk about the charity this month since you wrote it down there yeah Sure, I did write it down. Uh, Gameheads is the charity for this month. They are a tech training program that uses video game design development and DevOps to create diverse talent and bold new voices to train youth of color and low-income students for the tech ecosystem and prepare them for college, career, and civic life. Nice. So, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool little charity there. That's really cool. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about our listener question? Uh yeah, well our last question for the month for the the question for last month was uh what's your favorite bit of history that you learned? Uh but but no one's apparently learned any history from video games. Uh it, it was uh yeah. it was it was opted out to be be responded to. Y'all learned nothing. Yeah, probably think Kratos is real God of War, huh? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I was trying to see if I could get you to read it instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote David's that like, the your role is dunking on the <laughs> listeners, not mine. I'm the nice one. <laughs> well, yeah, see, because you're the P- Pierce Morgan of our podcast. Yeah, listen, bring this up. listen, you fucking uh, idiots. We put these questions out for you to answer them, all right? <laughs> especially because you tend to be more critical about games than I do. I feel like, <laughs> like, like, like I'm kind of like the Howie Mandel, and you're kind of like the Pierce Morgan a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, they didn't have jumping in this. It's fucking garbage. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? No jumping? 
It's raw. It's raw. <laughs> uh, but our question for next month, if anyone cares to answer it, uh, <laughs> the passive aggression. Jesus Christ. I'm going <laughs> to dial it back a little bit. Um, <clears throat> okay. A okay. question <clears throat> for next month, which we would love to see your responses to on our Discord. Uh, what it feels way more passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> it feels infinitely more passive aggressive. <laughs> Uh, what tabletop game would you like to see adapted into a video game? Uh, we, we've got, you know, the, the vampire series with the, with the, the, the World of Darkness RPG being adapted and, like, all these roguelike deck builders and stuff. So, like, what would you want to see adapted? And, and yeah, not, like, not, you know, I want Risk built on PC, but, like, what tabletop would you want adapted into a video game? Not just made and, like, made straight. Yeah, we kind of came to this uh, question because of the werewolf part of the forest, because of how it tries to adapt the tabletop mechanics to a video game. How, how what, what other types of conversions might you see being fun? Yeah. Okay, that's about it. Let's let's get this shit closed, huh? Uh, let's clo- let's close close the doors to this operation. Let's shut her down. Fucking slam it. Get, get out of here. All right. Remember, we have a at Bundle Bourgeois on Twitter. You can follow us there for more updates about when our podcast comes out and stuff. Uh, you follow myself or Backstab on Twitch. We stream regularly if you'd like to join us. Never so often, you know. Uh, join our Discord. Or our Steam group. Or both. Or both. You know, we'd appreciate that. Hell yeah like and follow you know we're gonna do the dumb podcast baggy thing like fucking subscribe subscribe tell your friends about us tell your friends we love you all so much we love you uh oh we're humble partnered we're now, humble which partners means, uh we have we have links for all of the humble games which we drop yeah. in our discord uh and we we financially get a cut out of the sales when that happens we're legally obligated to tell you that uh which so if you ever want to use our partner link and like pay for our bills like we'd appreciate it a lot <laughs> We'll still tell you when the games are bad, but we will not stop you from giving us money for buying bad games. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank right, you. That's a good rousing endorsement from, for, for Humble. I hope that they hear that. And like, Why did we give them an affiliate? Name? Why did we give them that? <laughs> All, right. All right. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.